Well, I'm excited about this morning. I'm excited about this opportunity to come and share a message from God's Word. If you're visiting with us today, we're in the middle of a sermon series called Lay Down Your Burdens. And specifically today, we're going to be talking about laying down your future. Now, I don't know if, if many of you are familiar with this game called MASH. It has nothing to do with the TV show. MASH stands for mansion, apartment, shack, and house. When I was in fifth and sixth grade, I stood outside in that hallway right out there, and I played the game MASH. Now, you come up with different categories. The categories we typically came up with were, who am I going to marry? So I put down some girls' names. How many kids am I going to have? What's my job going to be? And uh, what was the other one? Car. Yeah, car was the other big one. Okay. But you could come up with it. It could be unlimited, right? And so you'd create this spiral, and then you count the lines, and then you'd go through this process of elimination. And when you got to the end, it told you what your future was going to be. And I'll be honest, as a fifth grader, there was a few times I came close to getting what I wanted on that sheet. And I'd take that sheet of paper and I'd fold it up and put it in my pocket and I'd take it home and I'd dream about it. I'd dream about what my future was going to be. Then I became an adult. <laughs> and as an adult, you start realizing that your future is a little different than you might have thought it might have been. And your future can become a little bit of a burden. Whether... It's how you thought it would be or not. Sometimes our future can be overwhelming. But sometimes it can be exciting. But it takes our focus off of where it should be. I mean, some of the things that, that we can worry about or be concerned about our future are, what's my job going to be? Am I going to get married? Who am I going to marry? How many kids am I going to have? What's my health going to be like in the future? How much money am I going to make? When am I going to get to retire? How long am I going to live? We live in a world that's a little chaotic. It doesn't seem like it's headed down the right path, and you're, how am I going to live in this world? If you have kids, maybe you're concerned about their future, and they're growing up in a world that's very different than the world that you grew up in, and you're just wondering how in the world are they going to make it. We could say that we live in uncertain times. So I want to ask this question. When you think about your future, where do you place your hope? Is it in your family? Is it in your career? Is it in gaining financial stability or financial gain? Is it in some relationship? Where do you place the hope of your future? Your answer to this question could tell you a lot about where your focus is. And I believe in a room this size, with this many people at all different ages, Life is lived in stages. And as you go through different stages in life, the concerns or the burdens that we have about our future are very different than one another. 
I'll never forget as a 24-year-old finding out that we were pregnant with Hallie. We woke up on a Sunday morning. I did ask for permission to share this story, just in case any of you were wondering. And she said yes. So we woke up on a Sunday morning. Christy wasn't feeling all that well. And we were both teaching Sunday school, and I said, well, I'm going to go to church. And, and as I was leaving the door, she says, Josh, I might be pregnant. And I said, well, okay, well, we'll take a pregnancy test later. Let me go to church, and we'll come back, and we'll deal with it. And so I went, and I was teaching in our Sunday school class up in the youth area. And I finished my section of teaching and handed it back over to Terry McMillan. And my phone rang, and it was Christy. Josh, I'm pregnant. I said, what did you do? And she said, I took a pregnancy test. I said, I thought we were doing it later. She said, actually, I took more than one. I had to make sure that it was right. And so me being the strong husband that I'm supposed to be, oh, it's going to be all right. On the inside, I was going, What? And I began to have very selfish thoughts. Am I ever going to get to golf again? <laughs> Am I going to be able to go snowboarding? I love snowboarding. My life is changed and I'm not ready for it. But, hon, it's going to be okay. Now, God has a sense of humor. He did it two more times to us. Our youngest is four. And each came with its own burden of the future. But fortunately, God gives us nine months to get ready for it, right? But we can become overwhelmed with certain things that happen at different stages in our life. And there's so many different emotions that can come at these different stages from fear to excitement to sadness to happiness Sometimes we become so, so overwhelmed that depression starts to creep in or anxiety levels start to increase. But sometimes we become so excited about a change that is coming that we become obsessed with it. And that too can become a burden because our focus is not where it ought to be. We've got to remember that through life's ups and downs and all the emotions that come with it and whatever the future holds that the Lord is the only stable one in our life. He is the only one that is constant in this ever-changing world. So therefore, Jesus is the only one that we can place the hope of our future in. And when we live in that way, we get a peace that's beyond anything that this world will ever give you. We must learn to place our future in his hands. Allow him to be the one to determine our future, the one that, that guides us. Our hope must be found in Jesus. I want you to turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm chapter 33. And we're going to look at verses 4 through 22 this morning. And we're going to see why it is that you can place the hope of your future in him. Starting in verse 4. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all of his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, 
all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. On those whose hope in his steadfast love. That he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. For he is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him. Because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Father God, I just pray, Lord, that you would just speak to us this morning through your word. I pray, Lord, that you would challenge us, that you would comfort us. I pray, Father, that you'd give us clarity as we seek out your word this morning. May they be your words. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So the first nine verses that we just read ought to make us stand in awe. In the very first verse, verse 4, we see that there's a foundation to the Christian faith. It says that the word of the Lord is upright. That means that the word of the Lord is truth. The word of the Lord, we can depend upon it. And then he follows up and says that all of his work is done in faithfulness. The Lord is faithful to do what he says that he will do. This alone is reason enough for you to build your life upon his word. You're not going to find truth in anyone or anything else in this word other than the word of God. That's why we constantly talk about, I talk with our students all the time, you've got to get into God's word and plant his word into your heart because what he says is truth, what he says he will do. Verse 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. We begin to see that the psalmist begins to demonstrate the power of God by reflecting on creation. We see that God created all things. All things were made by his word, by his breath. He breathed life into the heavens and the earth and all that is in it. I don't know if you do this, but I regularly do this. I will sometimes, now I'm a night person, so I enjoy doing this at night, but you can do it any time. Set aside phones, TV, your family, people, 
get outside. I love to go outside at night and just look at the stars and heaven. Listen to the sounds and just gaze into the wonder that is God's creation. When I think about how he created all things in this earth, I can't help but stand in awe. It's absolutely amazing. Sometimes we're too busy, too caught up in so many other things to hit pause and just wonder at what he did and stand amazed in his presence and know that I can have a relationship with the one who created all this. He's in control. Verse 7, he gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. He's the one that's created the boundaries of the seas and the oceans. He's the one that's controlled that. One of my favorite verses in all scriptures, Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For by him, that is Jesus Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. It's just amazing. When you really look at creation and everything that he's demonstrated, his power, his control over absolutely everything. To me, the most humbling thing there is the fact that he holds all things together. So when I look at creation, when I think about my life, I'm held together by Jesus Christ. And that's the way that it was designed to be. And because of the power that we see in his creation, verse 8 says, we not only stand in awe of God, but we ought to fear the Lord. Let all the earth fear the Lord. I don't believe that we fear the Lord enough. We're going to talk about that here in just a little bit. Going on into verse 9, it says, He spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. When the Lord speak, it speaks, it happens. And whatever he puts into place, it does not fall. And so as we begin to see the power that he demonstrates through just these verses alone, we can stop here, and that ought to convince you enough to place the hope of your future in him and nothing else. See, I think it gets better. Verse 10, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. There's a lot going on in our world. There's a lot of things going on in the nations of this world, our government, other governments, other rulers, our president. Guess what? He brings her counsel to nothing. You don't have to worry about it. God's in control. His will will be accomplished. We can't get caught up in that. Just place your trust in him. It says he frustrates the plans of the peoples. I think that's the plans of, of leaders. But I think he also frustrates the plans of our own individual lives. Ten years ago, I was working at Cessna. My degree is in finance. And I thought I'd get my foot in the door and work my way up in Cessna. Eleven months later, me and a few thousand are headed out the door without a job. 
God made an adjustment. I didn't know what, what was in store. Didn't have a clue. A couple months later, God opens a door that was too wide for me to not step in to be the youth pastor here at this church. I went in, kind of trusting him. But I'll never forget, right in this room, saying goodbye to the previous youth pastor. Walked out the doors and I was like, now I've got to do this? You did a pretty good job. I'm not sure I'm the right one for this. My first Wednesday night, I'm standing up in the youth room. I've got lesson plans and some stuff for us to do. God, I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure that I'm the one. I struggled to trust God. It was not easy because I began thinking beyond. I'm like, am I going to be able to come up with enough stuff to really engage the students? Am I going to be able to do this or that? And where was my focus? What can I do? Wrong place. What is God going to do? How is he going to work? How is he going to move? Sometimes he will frustrate the plans that we have laid out so that he will better align our lives with his. And we must accept that and trust that he will do that. And then the psalmist in verse 11 and 12 follows with the promise The counsel of the Lord, in contrast to the counsel of the nations, the counsel of the Lord, it stands forever. The plans of his heart, the plans of his heart to all generations. From one generation to the next, God's plans, the ones that he has laid out, will happen. And it's best that we begin to make sure that we're aligning ourselves with him, even when it doesn't make sense. Because sometimes in our life, or even in the world, you could say, how? God, how are you going to do this? How are you going to accomplish your will? I don't see it. But we were looking through our eyes, not depending and trusting in God, who will accomplish his purpose. Blessed is the nation, in verse 12, of whose God is Lord. The same is true in your life, in the life of this church. Blessed is the church, blessed is the person whose God is their Lord. We must pray that God would align our hearts with his. We must pray for our nation must pray for our church, pray for one another, that God would align our hearts with his, because in his word we've seen clearly that he's going to accomplish it from one generation to the next. And we must make sure that we're seeking him out in all of those things, not depending on our own selves. The second thing that we see is that we can place our, the hope of our future in Jesus because he knows you. In verse 13, it says, The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He knew you before you knew him. 
He loved you before you loved him. 1 John 4, 9 and 10 says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He knew you, and he sent his son for you. I said, well, why? Why why did God? Why did God send his only son to bear the burden of our sins on the cross? So that we could be made right with him. Because he first loved us. Look back at verse 5. It says, the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. We jump to verse 15. Here's another reason why he sent his son into the world. Because he fashions the hearts of them all. He fashioned your heart. He created you. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows your needs better than you do. We need to learn to to realize that he's the one that, that created our hearts in such a way that we ought to be seeking him out. Even sometimes, though, sometimes we tend to place our trust in other things. In verses 16 and 17, he equates the king to placing his trust in an army, but it can't do any good. And a, war, a warrior places his trust in strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. So he created you. He created you to love, but he created you to glorify his name. And when we glorify his name, we're living as we should. But see, way back in the beginning, the beginning of creation, sin crept in. Adam and Eve chose to go their way. Sin came in and messed up the relationship that we had with God. So I believe in the very beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth and all that was in it, Our future was perfect. Sin came in and corrupted the future of all mankind, which is why the future is a burden. See, here's the beautiful thing about it, is God stepped in, sent his son to die on the cross to make things right, to reconcile us to himself. It's by the work of his son on the cross that all things were changed. Which then leads us to the close of this passage. Jesus is our hope. Verse 18 says, Behold. That's a strong word. And when I see the word behold, it's almost as if the psalmist is saying, I want you to pay attention. Listen up. Here is what you need to hear. Behold. The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. This is the second time in the scripture we've seen, just this passage, that we've seen fear the Lord. And as I said earlier, I think sometimes, sometimes we don't fear God enough. And I think the fear of the Lord is more than just reverence. It's more than just 
being in awe of him. Otherwise, the psalmist wouldn't have said back up in verse in verse eight. That fear the Lord and then stand in awe of him. I think the fear of the Lord is more real than we think. But I think it has more to do with a healthy fear of the Lord. Making sure we understand who God is and who we are. Now, I often think of this saying, and I'm sure I heard my mother say it to me. Boy, I brought you into this world. I can sure take you out of it. How much more true is it when you think of God? We see in Scripture, when men had an encounter with God, they fell as if they were dead. I think there's a fear of God that's true, trembling fear. But it helps us understand who God is and who we are in light of Him. Psalm 111.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. Proverbs 9.10 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. I think we need to have a fear of the Lord. Because it's then that we begin to place an understanding of who he is, a proper understanding of who he is and who we are. And we need to put the hope of our future in Jesus our present, and our future life must be placed in his hands. And there's no better place to be. Verse 20 says, our soul waits for the Lord. I think sometimes, sometimes we need to be patient. We need to be patient and wait for the Lord to direct our steps, to guide us and give us the wisdom that we need in order to make decisions. Sometimes we can be impatient. We want to jump ahead. But we must wait for the Lord because he is the one that should guide us. And the decisions that come, the decisions that we have to make must be made in him. And see, when your heart aligns with his, then you will find the true peace and joy in this life. Verse 21, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. That's the only place you're going to find a real sense of joy and peace in your life. There is no other place. The Lord's been teaching me this word for the better part of two years, and I shared this, I think, in a previous sermon. It's the word surrender. I think God has been calling me to surrender more and more of who I am not easy. I think we like control. We like to have control over our lives and, and the things that we do. But he desires for us to, to surrender our hearts to him, to surrender our life, our family, surrender our finances, our career, and ultimately our future to him. And once we do that, when we surrender those things to him, and we're seeking him out. Psalm 37, 23. 
says the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. You're not going to delight in his way until you surrender to him. Once you are willing to come to that place of surrendering all that you are, you'll begin to see that his way is far better than yours. That he has things in control in a way that you don't understand. And when things don't make sense, you're still willing to go along with it because he's the one establishing your steps. Psalmist close out Psalm 23 with, Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. So as you look up at your future, no matter what you're going through, no matter what burden you're carrying for your future, remember that he is the one that created everything. He's the one that's in control. And it's a matter of surrendering to him. See, it starts with the fear of God. Standing in awe of him. Realizing that he knows you better than you know yourself. He's the only hope that you can place your future in. So I challenge you. I challenge you, whatever you're dealing with, whatever uh, you think about when you think about the future of your life, give it to God. Let him be the one that moves you and shapes you into the person that he wants you to be. Let's pray. Father God, I just want to thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth that you speak in your word. As we walk through this passage, Father, I pray that we find comfort in it. That we know without a shadow of a doubt that you are the one that's in control. That you are the one that reigns supreme. And how you shaped this earth and, and all that is in it. You created each and every one of us. You fashioned our hearts. Therefore, we ought to place the trust of who we are in you and you alone. I pray, Lord, that there's someone here today that does not know you, that has not surrendered their life to you, that has not placed their trust in you. I pray, Father, that you would break down the walls that might be preventing them from taking that step forward and giving their life over to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.